0: But over a thousand years before he wrote that book, uh, on the same subject, um, Isaiah 26 was written. And it was written by the prophet Isaiah. And he also, in this chapter, in this portion of Scripture, tells us about a tale of two cities, the city of God and the city of man. And Isaiah writes uh, this text about the city of man in particular the city of man seems to be far more powerful and much more in control the babylonians have come they have burned down the gates and the walls of jerusalem the city of god and this is god's enacted judgment using the babylonians on his people israel because They have become idolatrous. They have become disobedient to Torah, and they have not been faithful to worship him only. They have not been consecrated to serve their God as they should, and the day that he writes is a day of tragedy and loss. But he also writes, as he speaks not only in the city of man, but the city of God, He talks about a day that is coming, a day that is coming when the city of God will triumph finally over the city of man, and all of God's judgments will be profound, and his justice will finally be released, and the peace of Jerusalem will finally be achieved. But the question for Israel would be in that time between that day and their day, how would they find peace? how would they experience peace in some of the most difficult times in their nation's history? Would they concentrate or try to find it in their day or in the day to come? Isaiah wants God's people to know that in their time, and he wants us to know in our time, that the peace that we desire, the peace that you pursue, perhaps the peace for which you were looking for when you came to service this morning, will not be found in this day, And the city of man. It'll be found in God, in the city of God, in that day. And that's the very words that start our text. In Isaiah 26 and verse 1, looking forward to the future when God would bring peace, he says this, in that day. See, he didn't have it in his day, but he knew where to find it. He says, in that day, there's going to be a song sung in this land. Because it's not just a tale of two cities, see, It's a tale of two songs. See, there's a future song that the people of God, as they enter the city of God, they will sing. It's the city of God's triumph. It's a a song of his peace. But there's another song, one that's being sung presently by all of those in the city of man, who seem to be in charge. Chapter 25 of Isaiah says in verse 5, Like heat in a dry place, you subdue the noise of the foreigners. As heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. See, right now, there's another song. Those who are using their power and position to be cruel and to enslave the people of God and to oppress them and to persecute them. That's the song that's most played nowadays, he would say. But he's coming a day when there's a new song written, and the lyrics will be written by the Lord Himself. And He wants to shed a little light on that song for us because it's a contrast. Right now, we have, we're, we're, we're taken uh, captive by, can He say, the lofty city? Look at Isaiah 26. It says that the lofty city is going to be brought down, Isaiah 26, 5. But there's a strong city in contrast, verse 1, that God is making and God is going to bring here. See, there's two cities and there's two songs. And it looks like the city of man and the song of man is the one that is dominant. But he says there's coming a day when those things are going to be reversed. And the strong city will no longer be Babylon. It will be God's city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And there's going to be a new song that will be written. And it will be on the voices of God's people. A new song of triumph and victory and peace. But how do we as Christians live in that day? How do we live in this day when the city of man seems to be far more powerful and more in control in the city of God, in the United States, and even around the world. Especially when you're having, can I say, one of those days. Have you ever had one of those days? Well, Edith did. Edith was the mother of eight children. And she lived in a little town called Darlington, Maryland. True story. One day she came home on a Saturday from her neighbor's house where she was visiting with them. And she walked up to her house. Now, remind you, she has eight children, so it's never quiet at her home. But she walked up to the front porch and there was no noise, which was a complete shock to her. It was a little suspicious. And so she crept up to the porch and looked through the front screen door. And lo and behold, her five youngest children were all huddled together on the floor. And she couldn't imagine what it was. So she quietly opened the screen and stepped in, only to find as she looked into the center of her five youngest children that there were five little baby skunks. And they had gotten in there. So immediately in seeing the little skunks, she did what any mother would do. She screamed as loud as she could. Everyone, run! And so they did. Each one of the children picked up one of the skunks and ran as fast as they could. One of those days. You come home thinking that you've had a hard day at work. Things aren't going right. It's difficult in America. You're frustrated. You don't want to wear these masks anymore. You think you're coming home to find peace. And really, it's panic. It's just panic. We'd like to trade all of our panic in for peace, wouldn't we? But sometimes this day and all of its problems, it makes it difficult for us to think about that day and all of its peace. Peace, as someone has said, I read this week, says, peace is sought by everyone but possessed by only a few. I asked why. Why is that true? Because they're looking for peace In the wrong place so let me ask you the question where do you go for peace where do you find your sense of security in a world that seems to lack it completely well some people you know where they turn they turn to their bank accounts it's called the economy-based peace as long as i have enough money i feel like no matter what problems i face that i'll be good and when the money goes down my peace goes down And you've seen it all over the news. There are a lot of people who have a lot to be afraid of in some ways. Uh, Six Brothers Diner on Route 46 in New Jersey has been a family-owned diner since 1964. They went out of business this year. All their jobs, all the things their family had built, lost in just a matter of six months. But it's not just the small businesses, and we could name a few, I'm sure, and maybe even know some of the people who run them or own them. But, see, it's not just the little things, it's the big businesses. Let me give you a list, and this is only some of the businesses that are bankrupt or completely gone. Lord & Taylor, Men's Warehouse, Ann Taylor, New York & Company, Brooks Brothers, Lucky Brand Jeans, Neiman Marcus, J. Crew, 24-Hour Fitness, and this one's going to hurt, Chuck E. Cheese, Pier 1 Imports, J.C. Penny, Starbucks is going under, I know, but not Duncan, God's good. (laughs) And, and, And with all the stores going under, it could be also, it's forecasted, it might be the complete ruin of malls in America. See, if you find yourself looking for a sense of security in finances and how things are in our country stable as far as economy goes, it's going to be a roller coaster ride for you when it comes to peace. Some people look for it in their health. I mean, if I just stay out of the way of COVID-19 and I don't get the the virus. But see, COVID-19 has forced all of us to come to grip with our mortality. We are fragile at best. We are weak. We are people who can get sick and worse so quickly. Relationships, parents, where do you find peace and security for your children. Can I be frank with you? If you think that you are their peace and security, you are so wrong. You will not be able to protect them. You will not be able to keep them from all dangers and all risks. In fact, it would be a bad thing if you think that you can because we cannot prepare our children to be in ministry and for missions and to go outside this country if we continue to do so. Do you think that you're the one who's going to keep your marriage together? Are you think you're going to be the one who can keep all the troubles from coming to your doorstep? If you find your sense and security and your ability and your wisdom and your power, you are greatly mistaken. And those are the outside things, but what about the inside peace? What about the internal peace? What about the emotional stability that has been lacking in so many people's lives because of what's going on around them on the outside? If you try to find peace by having good circumstances and good situations and nothing really major ever going wrong, it's an illusion. We do not get our peace from whether we wear masks or we don't wear masks, whether we go to school or not, whether church is open or not, whether we are frustrated, fed up and discouraged by all of these things. And we ask the questions to ourselves over and over again, when is all of this going to be over? When in the world are they going to get a vaccine? It can't come quick enough. Is there anything really such as normality any longer? And are we going to lose another year of graduations? What about the sports our kids are missing? What does the future hold? If you put your peace, if you hope to find peace in any of those things, you're going to be disappointed. And God has a way of letting us over the last six months know that all the things that we thought that we could depend on, all the things that were stability and that we found certainty and peace in have been minimized or have been completely eradicated from our lives. Why? Why? Why would God do this? Why would God allow this? Because God wants you and I to find our peace in him. He wants you to get your sense of security that everything is well in your life, not from what is around you or even what is within you, but who is above you. See, He wants to teach you what trust really is. Not the American kind of trust that takes joy and happiness over good things and gets spoiled rotten when things don't go Not that kind of trust. No, a real trust. He wants to teach you to sing a different song. Not the song that the city of man sings. But the song that only comes from the lyrics of our Lord when you live in the city of God. You see, here's Isaiah's idea this morning in one sentence. God Is your peace. See, if you know this song and you know its lyrics and you'll be able to sing it, you'll know this truth that real peace, lasting peace, is not in a place, it's in a person. You won't be able to find it in your boss or the job that you think that you need to get. You're not going to find it in your spouse or your marriage or your friends and your families. All those, those things are good. The only source of peace that will ever satisfy your soul is finding it in your God. And Isaiah wants us to know, because that reality is true, that our God is strong enough to give you all the peace and protection that you need. And so he starts in verse 1 about this song. The first line is, we have a strong city. Now, they know all about strong cities with Babylon. He says, but this is a different kind of strong city. And that was a crucial thing in ancient Near East um proverbs 25 28 says he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a listen like a city that is broken down and without walls see what he says we have a strong city what makes it strong well it has he sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks see if you wanted to keep your enemy out if you wanted to keep your people safe you had to have big walls. That's why the people of Israel got so discouraged when they came to the Promised Land. They looked at Jericho and said, "Look at the size of those walls! I mean, they could drive two chariots side by side on the top of them. That's how thick it was." And they had walls on the outside. You had to go uphill. They had walls again, up uphill again. Walls up there. I mean, it seemed like it was impregnable because the better the walls, the better your defense. And then you had gigantic gates gates that nobody could open nobody could move and that's why God showed the Philistines you think that your gates and your walls are enough for you Samson came at night and he tore the gate off the hinge why did he do that because he wanted to say see you no one is safe from God so Nehemiah writes broken hearted in the beginning first chapter his brother comes and looks at this at Jerusalem and come back and report to him and here's what he says The walls are burned and the gates are broken down. See, Israel was defenseless. Their gates and their walls were gone. They had no protection and therefore they had no peace. But see, God's city, oh, it has the greatest walls. Because their walls are not made of stone. They're made of salvation. Do you see what he says? He sets up salvation as walls. I, I've never been there, but I've always wanted to go there. and I, I know it's kind of a futile attempt because you can't go inside. There are 10 places in America that are on the forbidden list. I don't know if you know that. There's 10 forbidden things. You can't go inside of them. No one ever can or be allowed to. And one of them is Fort Knox. If you go to Fort Knox, you won't be able to get in. But it is called the most secure vault on the planet. In this little area, it's not even that big of a place. It's surrounded by a steel fence. Um, The building itself is made of concrete lined with granite and reinforced by steel so it can protect from all attacks. The vault grounds are surrounded by landmines so you could even walk up to it because you could die before you get to the gate. It has electric fences that could shock you to death in less than one second. If you trip a laser that is all over uh, the grounds, the machine guns will go off in all directions triggered on the point where the laser went off. Radar keeps the whole area completely safe. There are guard boxes filled with guards at all the corners. There are sentry boxes at the entrance, and 40,000 soldiers maintain Fort Knox on a regular basis. The vault is made, if you could get to the vault, it is made of steel and concrete and weighs 20 tons. There are a number of different combinations that are only known to one, one part of the combination to one person, and you'd have to have all six of the people there at the same time to put in the combination one after the other in order, if you were even to get that vault door open. So when people say it's as secure as Fort Knox, they're not kidding. But can I tell you this? Fort Knox is nothing comparing to how secure it is in the city of God. God's city is far better than Fort Knox. No enemies can ever break through it. There is peace and protection for all who are inside the walls of salvation. Have you ever walked by someone's house and we, had to, we do it at Mosaic and, and maybe you have it at your house. It has a little emblem on the windows. Sometimes it says protected by. And then it puts the company that puts your, 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 your protection system on your home. Well, see, see, the new Jerusalem has this protected by God. Protected by God. Are you in that city? See, that's what God's wanting you to ask. You'll never find peace outside of it. You know that, right? There is no peace in the city of man. See, and if you're not inside the city, if you're not a member of that community by faith, here's what it means. You have no walls. You have no peace. You have no protection And your greatest enemies, can I say it to you? The greatest enemies we have are not COVID-19 or any other health issue, social issue, or personal issue. Our greatest enemies are sin and hell and death. But there is peace even in those circumstances if you are inside the city. You can't find it outside. Revelation comments on this very truth. Revelation 22 and verse 14 says, Blessed are they who do his commandments that they may enter through the gates of the city. But outside, he says, outside the new Jerusalem are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. See, if you're outside the city and not inside the city, it means you have no protection, you have no pardon, you have no forgiveness, you have no salvation, and the greatest enemies are going to wreak havoc and eternal damnation into your life. But God has made a way for you to get from outside the city to inside the city. Look what it says of our Savior in Hebrews 13, 12. Wherefore, Jesus, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the city the sinless savior the king of the walls and the bulwarks and the gates and the city of new jerusalem and all its inhabitants who deserve nothing but our blessing and praise he came bore our sin and here's what he, he suffered outside the city See, he suffered outside the city on a cross so that you could enter into the city, that you could know forgiveness, that you could have salvation and be protected and have peace forever. He did that for you. So you might say, Pastor Walker, well, then how do I get into that city? Well, you have to get in through the Prince of Peace himself. The text says, if you'll see it there, verse 2, open the gates. Well, who, who can come in? If the gates are open, how do, you, how do you walk in? Here's what he says, that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. See, there's only one requirement for you to get into the salvation city of God. You need righteousness. You need righteousness that comes by faith. See, you have to have God's righteousness to get into God's city, see? See? And the problem is that people think that they can make the journey from the city of man into the city of God, and they can do it on their own righteousness. And so many people think, Pastor Walker, I know, hey, I'm not perfect, and maybe I've done some things in my life, but I feel like I'm pretty good. I I think if I stood before God, my my good works would outweigh my bad works. And see, people think that self-righteousness, the way that they think that they can be right with righteousness, right with God, is through what they do. And in this very same prophecy, in Isaiah chapter 64, he answers that question for us when he says this in verse 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. King James says, filthy rags. See, bring all your righteousness to the gate of the city and you will never get in because we can't be good enough. We can't earn it. We can't merit it. We can't uh, work for God's favor, he says. The righteousness, the only requirement to get into the city is the one who comes by Faith. He keeps faith. That's how you can get into it. You have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have to trust that his death and resurrection is payment for your sin. And you need to come to the place where you say, God, my righteousness is not enough. What I need is your righteousness. I need yours. Martin Luther called it an alien righteousness. not from another planet, but outside of you, alien to you, you can't be good enough to get there on your own. Revelation twenty two fourteen that same verse I mentioned a little ago, it says, but those who do his commandments get to enter the city. Well, I thought you said, Pastor Walker, that is by works. Well, it's not. But what did he say? You have to have a righteousness that keeps faith. In other words... It's a righteousness that has revolutionized you from the inside out. It's a righteousness that is not by works, but does produce works. It produces obedience. It's a faith that is not just an event at one time in your life where you prayed a prayer years ago. No, it's a faith that is keeping on. You have this faith and you keep this faith even during the most difficult times. And that faith is demonstrated, not given, not earned, but demonstrated in its reality by the works that we do notice in the text in verse three see you keep faith notice verse three and god keeps you see that you keep faith you have faith in god you trust him in the most difficult times and you respond to all the things we're facing in obedience to his word no matter what the issue is and no matter how hard it is he says when you keep faith i keep you they go hand in hand And what does he keep you? Well, look at it. It's what you're looking for. He keeps him in perfect peace. In Hebrew, it's very difficult to translate because it's the repeated word shalom. Shalom means peace. And shalom is not a word just means peace, I hope everything in your life is okay. It's it's an idea of wholeness. When God says, I want to give you my shalom, it means all the things in your life are good. Not because circumstances and situations are, but everything in your life on the inside is all all that it ought to be. And in this case, he says, listen, if I'm keeping you, right, here's what I'm going to give you. Shalom, shalom. It's double. It's peace, peace. Thirteen times in Isaiah 24 through 27 in these chapters, words are duplicated back to back. It's an intensifier. It's an emphatic way of saying there's no greater peace than this. It's a kind of peace that's relentless. It's an unending peace. It's an undying peace that nobody can take from us. So he says, here's what I promise to do. I'm going to guard you on the inside. So when COVID-19 comes and you're afraid... I'll give you my peace. in the conflict of racial tension, here's what he says, you can know my peace and how to handle those situations. And you don't know about your finances and your job, you're going to be able to keep it. You don't know about this and the uncertainty of the future. You don't know what college even holds for you in the future. Here's what he says, I offer you peace. But not just singular peace, double peace, because we have double defense. We have walls and bulwarks of salvation. And God says, double defense, and double peace for any double problems that you might have. Well, how do you get that, Pastor Walker? What does God's perfect peace look like so I can know that I have it? He says, here's what it'll look like when you have it. See verse 3? Whose mind is stayed on you. Ready? Because he trusts in you. The word stayed on you is the word that means fixed. It means focused. And then it adds this little phrase, because he trusts in you. Someone who has God's double portion of shalom is a person that no matter what's going on around them, they are focused on God. They're not letting culture dictate to them how they think and act. They're not letting their country... Dictate, they're not letting their color. Here's what they're doing they're letting their Christ dictate to them. See, no matter what everyone else is doing, no matter what everybody else is saying, or what everyone is posting, here's what's true of the person who has double shalom they have their mind stayed on Him. Why? Because they're trusting Him. They're saying, hey, when I focus on you, God, it may not turn out for me. It may not go the way I want. I may be unpopular. People may not accept me anymore. but, But here's what, I'm doing it because I trust you. See, you won't be able to focus on God if he has to make the results turn out the way you want them to. If you only stand for him and have conviction and commitment for him when the results are to your liking, it'll never happen. But he says, here's what Shalom does. It gives me the ability to know I have peace with God. And I can stay focused on him. And I trust him that no matter what happens on the outcome of it, I'm going to do what pleases him and what his word says. See, it's a focused trust. A focused trust. Double peace on the inside for double problems on the outside. It's the kind of focused trust that looks out at the city of man and says, Oh, this is what everybody else is doing out there in the city of man. This is their see, they have a mentality. In the city of man, they have a mentality about here's what's really important, here's what governs your thinking, here's what controls your life, here's really the priority of what really matters right now. And here's what the Christian says. No, I have a different framework. See, my mind is focused on you. On you and your glory, and your gospel, and your name. Not the city of man, the city of God. The city of man is strong, the city of God is stronger. So where is your focus fixed? What have you fixed your mind on? What controls the framework of your thoughts? Outside or the inside? See, the idea of the word, my mind is stayed on him, because I trust on him. The idea is to lean on something for support. If you ever broke your foot, a like guy have, or hurt yourself, you know what it's like to be on crutches. And you've got to have them. You get up and think you can go down the stairs, or you can walk by yourself. Oh, I don't really need these things. They're kind of uncomfortable. And you go without it, and you wish you wouldn't. Have. And you feel dependent on it. And we don't like that. We don't like the fact that I had to get crutches and, and, and John in my, my D group has walked around with this big boot on his foot. We don't like it. We like to think that we're independent. We like to think that we're strong enough. We like to think that we can handle it on our own. And here's what God says. That's not what happens when you have my shalom. My shalom means this. My God is strong, but I am not. I embrace my weakness. Because without it, I can't have his shalom. I get pseudo-shalom, counterfeit shalom. And the world says, oh, you must be weak if you're on crutches. And the Christian says, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's not just a focused trust. Look at the text. It's a forever trust. Verse 4, trust in the Lord. What, what, What kind of trust is this that you get this shalom from? Trust in the Lord forever. Do you see what it says? Trust the Lord forever. And, and then it gives you the reason. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Do you remember, I'm dating myself now. Do you remember Prudential Life Insurance? I don't see them advertising much anymore. I hope they haven't gone under like everything else. But what was their little emblem of marketing? Oh, it was the rock. Remember they had that circle and the rock inside? And here was their little tagline. It was, let Prudential be your rock. In other words, when all the problems in life come, and this happens, and this tragedy, and this difficulty, you've got insurance. And if you've got insurance with Prudential, your life is on the rock. Here's what Isaiah says. Let God be your rock. See, you're on quicksand without him. But if you're standing on the rock, then it's solid, it's forever. And you can trust him. Trust in the Lord forever. We might, let's put it this way. Trust in the Lord always, all times, every circumstance, as long as you live. Trust God. Because he's never going to fail. My favorite song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You know what the first verse, second line is? A bulwark never failing. A city wall a tower, a bulwark. Isn't that what he said? Salvation is our walls and bulwark, and, and our God is a mighty fortress. But you know what the next stanza says? Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? See, if you think you're strong enough, if you think you're wise enough, if you think it's your ability you're not the rock he is it's a focused trust but it's a forever trust you can trust him your entire life and every circumstance and every possible situation we didn't have one growing up but my neighbors did and from time to time i'd go over there and they'd let me jump on their trampoline and we jump on there, and I, you know, even when you're younger, you don't really realize until you get on there for a little bit of how taxing it is to be on a trampoline. I mean, jumping back and forth. I mean, it like wears you out pretty fast. And you know, I, you don't want to let in that you're really that tired so quickly, so you kind of keep doing it. But then, you know, so they taught me a game. Have you, if you ever been to the trampoline, have you ever played add-on? The game add-on, where well, you do a seat drop, and then the person, the next person has to do a seat drop, and then you do a seat drop and a belly flop, and they have to do a seat drop and a belly flop. And then you do a seat drop and a belly flop, and then you have to do a complete reversal around a circle. And you add on. In other words, you keep adding on to see how far you can go. This, this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And then you have to stand to your feet, and then it's, after a while, you're like dying. It's really difficult. But I, I thought about that, and I said, you know what, that's what God says to us. See, in your life, this morning you may come and say, you know, it's been a lot been added on Recently, for me my family, I mean, COVID-19, maybe someone in my family got it. One of us lost our job, and then one of our relatives got sick, and I've been in the hospital, and our finances are struggling, and my kids are, and and, and you go, one, one, and God says, add on. Here's another one. Oh, yeah, here's another one. Yep, and now I'm tired, and I'm exhausted. Add another one on. Add another one on, and and you go, like, if you add one more on, I don't think I'm going to make it here's what he says trust in the lord forever why for the lord our god is an everlasting rock trust him forever because he's a rock forever and eternal he was there before you ever needed him and he'll be there when you're done and he's helped people before you and he'll help people after you last thing did you notice in the text there's two reasons though Trust in the Lord, for the Lord is a rock. And then verse 5 starts with the same little word, for. There's another reason. Ready? you got to know this one. Not only can he handle all your add-ons, he can handle all of them. You're exhausted. You don't think you can do one more bounce on the tramp? He says, add another one. And then, you know what? I can handle all your problems. Listen, and I can handle all of your enemies, too. He says you know what my city is strong but remember the people outside the city people who want to bring you down people who want to r- r- bring ruin and wreck to your life he says here's see i can i can take the lofty city verse five and i can bring them low how low can god bring them all the way down to the dust He says, they don't take care of the poor and needy. They're not my people. They don't act. See, God says, I can take care of any opposition, anybody who's against you, anything that's against you, and I can take care of all of them. So I can take care of anything in my city, and I can take care of anything in their city. Do you see the comprehensiveness of what Isaiah is saying? He wants you to see how strong your God really is because he's the one who's going to give you the peace. And if he's so strong that he can handle anything in our city and and the city outside, then why do I fear? Why do I struggle with anxiety so much? Why do I get my cues in life anywhere else but from him? Why am I so lacking in peace? He says, I'm strong. Stronger than anything, anyone. You want peace? Come to me. Because Jesus says, I'm the prince of peace. Let's pray. In just a moment, we're going to sing the well-loved hymn, It is well with my soul. When peace, like a river, Oh, say Pastor Walker I could do for just a couple drops of peace a river would be unbelievable but with every head bowed and every eye closed you're here this morning you might say Pastor Walker peace I mean real peace I don't have it I'm worried about this and I'm discouraged about this I'm frightened about this and all the uncertainty and instability and but I have to admit, too, that the reason I don't have it is because I'm trying to find it where I can't, it can't be found. But this morning I realized that true peace, lasting peace, is only in Jesus and what he did when he died on the cross. and If you've never found the peace that comes from forgiveness of sins, can you drop your self-righteousness? Can you admit that without him you'll never have peace because you can't be righteous on your own? You need him. I'll be here after the service if you would like to, like to talk more about knowing how to get into the city of God. I'd be love to tell you from Scripture how you can know the good news of King Jesus, the only one who can forgive. But if you're a Christian here this morning and you say, Pastor Walker, I live in the city of God, but sometimes you wouldn't know it because I act like I live in the city of man. And therefore, there's so much tension and turmoil and conflict and disunity in my life in so many ways and so many levels. Father, you would say I need peace. I need to have my mind stayed on him and trust him for whatever comes. Father, we pray that you would Lavish your peace on those who would submit to your death and resurrection in Jesus. They might find the peace that only comes, the forever peace comes from you. For children of God who are sons of God, may we not only be peacemakers, but peacetakers. We keep taking the peace from you because we have your mind, we have your heart, and we live it out in this world. Help us to do that the more. Individually and together for your glory. For Christ's sake, amen.